I'm Carl Thompson. And you're listening to General Intellect Unit. And this time we are talking about Kentucky Route Zero, uh, specifically the second interlude uh, called The Entertainment. Um, usual stuff, if you didn't catch the first couple of episodes, go back a few and pick them up from there. Um, yeah, the, the entertainment is strange. Um, uh, Kyle, what, what, what do you make of all this? This is, uh, this is a pretty weird little interlude. Yeah, I think the key for me here is that um, this was a bit of an experiment similar to Limits and Demonstrations um, in that uh, this was originally a VR game for the Oculus Rift. Um, and the version that has come down to us in the uh, in the contemporary um, the sort of contemporary version, the one on PC at least, where you have the little fancy menu that connects all the different interludes and chapters, um, it no longer has VR support. Um, so there's a deprecated VR version, which I think really makes uh, this little sort of stage play as a video game um, make sense as a project. Um, it's like this this missing link <laughs> that explains why this thing was made in the first place. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it's very funny that this this might be... This could be maybe one of the best releases ever for the Oculus Rift, and yet it's the one that's not supported anymore, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I certainly found that um, it, it, it really suffers uh, without VR support. Um, uh, so I think the first time I played this, I played it on uh, using a controller, um, and using the, I think it's, it allows you to use the analog stick to move the camera. Um, and that wasn't so bad because, um, essentially what this is, is, uh, it's like a stage play where you are put in the part of a cast member, uh, who is on stage, but has no speaking part. Um, so in front of you is the uh, action of the play uh, and behind you is the audience. Um, and in order to progress the, um, the action of the play, and at certain points there's just like little text things you need to read behind you, um, probably to just like, you know, <laughs> to make have it a little neato, neato VR immersion experience. Um, you need to pan the camera around and on the using a mouse, um, it's really quite tiresome, uh, to go back and forth. Although I found it to be less so with a controller and I imagine it would be extremely natural with a VR headset or like an, a head tracking, uh, bit of software, uh, that would just be like, Oh yeah, someone, you want to see what someone's going to say. You look at them and then they say the thing and that's pretty natural. Uh, with mouse, you're like, okay, scroll, 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 <laughs> uh, going back and forth. And it's, it's, it's not as good, uh, for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's not as slick as like, I don't know, Quake 3 or something with it's like 
first person mouse based sort of uh, interaction um, yeah and and uh, one sort of other tiny detail is that like um the 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 text um of the of the play like the the the, the dialogue uh it plays automatically when you stare at something um so uh which means that if you, if you take your eye off of something it basically pauses and you can come back to it and you kind of scan around the room yeah which again very slick as a vr concept yeah yeah it's um I can imagine this being a lot of fun in VR, certainly. Um, but it also does mean that there's no mean, there's no interaction, really, aside from staring at things. Um, and the the action progresses at a fairly fixed pace. You can, uh, you can click to speed up the dialogue. Oh, right. I, I never never thought to do that, I guess. Um, yeah, I, you, you, you actually can. Uh, it, it doesn't, like, it's not, like, instantaneous, but it goes faster uh, than it would otherwise. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed this this time around because uh, I, I think I was in the right headspace for it. Uh, the very first time I ever played this, um, you know, downloading it from the cardboard computer website um, and just tried it out. And I kind of basically bounced off it immediately um, because um, I think my ADHD brain just absolutely needs something to engage with and like some mm. tactile kind of engagement. Um, and also, also like... I don't know. The, the fidgeting that I do is to look away from things, which is the lo- the last thing you need you want to do in this in this game. Sure, you, know, you, have to, sure. you have to sit and pay attention, just like my teachers told me in school, um, which I think really rubbed me the wrong way initially. Also, I I don't remember if this is actually accurate or not, but I have a strong memory of um, doing this the first time around with the the binary downloaded from the site, and like yeah, you, you look around the the the. the um, the theater, right? So like the stage is, you're on the stage and the main part of the stage is in front of you. The audience is behind you, but they're in, um, they're in theater seating, right? Like they're, they're, it's graduated seating up to the back. And at the back, there's the exit sign in the door. And I, I have a very strong memory of looking at the door. And then after a couple of seconds, the game quit like that. And I was like, oh my God, that is really clever. Um, it doesn't do it this time around. And I'm starting to wonder, if that's a hallucinated memory on my part or if that ever really happened. But either way, it makes for a fun story. And it's a, it, it, it would be better if it was there. Um, I, I think I did the same thing. Okay. So that must be real. On my first playthrough. Because I definitely remember entering the section, entering this interlude exiting at some point and then coming back and finishing it so it i don't know uh that's that may be just like you know uh just collective you know fabulation on both of our parts uh, just tricking our brains into thinking something happened but um i seem to have some kind of memory of something like that yeah. I mean, this time around, I, I tried it. I, like, looked at the exit sign and expecting it to do that, and it didn't. So I think maybe there must have been an expectation there anyway. Um, but I don't know. Like, I kind of I kind of like this quite a bit, actually, um, on revisiting it. Because um, it's, it's pretty slick, and um, it's a... It's a it's it's differently paced. It's very different from the other acts and from the other interludes, mm-hmm. but... Um, I think it's quite good, and you get a lot of background story and lore um, in this in this thing. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I would say it's definitely very conversational. They get that down for sure. 
that like if there's a kind of languid depressed uh pace to the conversation which is very appropriate to the subject matter uh which is a bunch of um alcoholics hanging out in a rundown bar uh, and chatting to each other. Yeah. Um, so the, um, the, the play that's being put on is, and we'll discover this over the course of the, um, of the dialogue that we interact with, but um, we can acknowledge up front that it's, it's a play that's actually um, in fiction. It is actually a fusion of two plays by a local author, Lem Doolittle, it's adapted for the stage by jo- Joseph Wheatree and directed by James B. Carrington, and the stage design is by Lula Chamberlain. Now, uh, off to the side in the crew pit, um, we, see, we see Lula and Carrington and the organ player uh, from the previous act. I don't think we see Joseph, unless he's in the, in the audience, perhaps. Um, but they're standing off to the side, um, this is really interesting, right? Because um, it does also say at one point that this is the play that is being put on at that moment is it, the date is November 16th, 1973, which I think actually lines up with your timeline for when the main action of the game happens, probably in the 2000s, right? Because if Lula and Joseph and these folks were. Yeah, it's set in 73, right? It's set in 73. I. I think so. I, 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 I read it as being that the, the date of it being played at the student theatre was 73, which would actually work because if, if that's 20 years in the past for these failed academics or whatever, that puts us, well, maybe it's 20, 30 years in the past. And like Lula's quite old on the, uh, well, she, she's grey hair by the time we get to her in the main acts. Yeah, it, it would work out to the 2000s approximately, yeah. But this, this is substantially in the past from the perspective of the main game. Uh, it's back in the student days. Like, yes and no. Well, t- timey-wimey, you know, as well, <laughs> certainly. It's very timey-wimey because um, this is also... It also can be read as what is happening in this bar <laughs> immediately prior to your character showing up in Act 3. Like, your main characters. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like, yeah, so it's, it's like, cause, because the, the play is called The Entertainment, and the entertainment, like in the text, it specifically refers to Junebugs coming as the entertainment, and she's late. And when you get to Act 3, we open on Junebug being late for this appointment, and then we actually get her performance, uh, even though, you know, something has happened to the patrons uh, who are waiting for the entertainment. Um, you know, it's, it's so it's like, it's also <laughs> diegetically like immediately before the next act. It's so, so <laughs> it like, has there been two productions of this, uh, of this play? Uh, one like back when the academics were younger and one, now or is it just timey-wimey um they definitely make reference to like the uh hard times distillery and the action happening there is it like certainly fits in with everything else that's been happening in the game thus far and what happens afterwards so 
It's both, probably. Yeah, it's um, it's very weird. Um, I don't know. It's 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 deeply strange. Um, so you've some notes here about the the influences that are very evidently at play here. Now, I'm I'm not familiar with these plays, uh, like the Iceman Cometh and the Lower Depths. Yeah. So this uh, this play, um, the Entertainment, uh, which I believe was actually. Um, published as like a booklet and uh was also staged uh in like 2016 or something like that at like some festival uh uh which is you know that's cool uh i haven't actually like seen the production uh but uh yeah so anyway um the entertainment uh is very 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 heavily influenced by the Iceman cometh uh, by Eugene, Eugene O'Neill, um, which is a play that was uh, published in or written in 39 uh, and is set in 1912. Um, and uh, that play was uh, influenced in turn by uh, Maxim Gorky's The Lower Depths, uh, which was written and published in uh, 1902. Um, so, uh, both the lower depths and the Iceman cometh are plays about, um, alcoholics in a rundown bar. Uh, and obviously the entertainment is as well. Um, the lower depths, uh, uh, Gorky's play is the, um, inspiration for the play or the, the name of the, um, the bar in the entertainment. It's called the lower depths. Um, and, uh, the Iceman cometh is cited multiple times. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, there's a very, he- uh, heavy influence. Um, the authors, uh, or the, you know, the production team for this game, uh, also mentioned Beckett as an influence, um, Samuel Beckett. I can kind of see it. There's a, there's this sinister tone to the play, which, um, is reminiscent of Beckett. Uh, but I don't think they, that this play is funny in the way that Beckett is, you know, like Beckett, it's very like sinister and grim and kind of apocalyptic most of the time, but there's also a kind of dark humor to it. And like the dialogue is often like the banter is very, uh, absurdist and, uh, and, 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 and kind of funny. Uh, and kind of witty. Um, and the the reviews of the play, of the entertainment that you read, like sort of interstitially during the performance, like between the acts, uh, make mention of this being a kind of irreverent staging of this of, of these two plays mashed up together. But like, I didn't actually find anything very funny about this uh about the entertainment, like it, the dialogue isn't actually very funny at all. There's like one or two really good laugh out loud gags, but that's it. Like it, and it's very straightforward and kind of really depressing and, and grim throughout. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so not not very Beckett esque to me, at least. Um, but yeah, okay. So Eugene O'Neill, um, uh, yeah, writes uh, Iceman Cometh in '39. Uh, so this is um, 
a play about uh, delusional alcoholics in a rundown Greenwich Village uh, saloon in, uh, sorry, Greenwich Village saloon in 1912 in New York. Um, unlike the entertainment, The Iceman Cometh is very heavily focused on anarchist politics and their betrayal. Um, so many of the characters in the play are either are either uh, former, just former anarchists or former Wobblies from out West. Um, uh, this was a result of uh, O'Neill being uh, influenced by Emma Goldman, who uh, he knew and admired. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, he was a uh, very, you know, famous uh, as a playwright and he took like seven years to stage the play because he thought that like it just wouldn't fly in America, having this very like uh, depressive and uh, radically socialist uh, theme to it. Um, now, the entertainment, we don't get any of that. There's there's a very slight kind of political tint, like a uh, tint, like a, a bit of a, an ethical turn uh, here and there. But like really that that sort of theme in the Iceman Cometh is not present in the entertainment at all. Um, but definitely an interesting thing about that. Um, so the, the, the main sort of theme about the play is that it deals with people's inability to live without illusions um, or delusions, right? Uh, the characters in the play uh, are, you know, hanging out in this bar where they're bar flies. They're always there. Uh, they all have their own specific delusions like, oh, like I'm just about to rejoin the police force. I'm just about to go back to England or South Africa or, you know, I'm going to make right with my political buddies or whatever. Uh, all these things that people say they're going to do and have no intentions of doing. They're just going to hang on to their delusions uh, and keep drinking. Um the characters in the play are waiting for this uh, traveling salesman, Hickey, uh, to arrive and throw them a big party after his East Coast sales circuit. Uh, so he's, you know, a, tra a traveling uh, hardware salesman. Uh, he, he makes uh, the rounds and then he comes in and he like, you know, he has his, his, his uh, earnings that he saved up and he throws a big party for everybody at a kind of regular uh Cadence, uh, and this is what people in this bar live for, uh, because you know it's it's the one sort of event in their lives that happens. Um, however, Hickey shows up and he's become a teetotaler uh, and is in a manic state uh, and is encouraging them to abandon their illusions and change their lives. Uh, so, which they. You know, he's, he's sort of like going around and preaching to all the different members of the of the, the bar, uh, these bar flies and kind of like, you know, you got to make a change. You got to change your lives. I, you know, I, I see I see reality so clearly now that I've given up drink and all this kind of stuff, um, which uh, they they try to do based on his uh, inspiration and they fail to do. They just kind of like fall back into their own uh, old ways after failing to change their lives. Um, uh, after this, uh, Hickey, uh, himself has a mental breakdown, uh, as he confesses to killing his wife, Evelyn, uh, because he could not stand living with her acceptance of his infidelities when he was on the road. Uh, so her unconditional love 
and his inability to live up to it drove him insane and drove him to murder her. Um, so uh, that's uh, kind of the crux of the play there is Hickey's like coming to terms with uh, this murder that he's done. Uh, he was able to function after the murder as long as he denied what he had done. But upon admitting it, he turns himself in and wants to be given the death penalty for his crime. Uh, the bar patrons, however, testify to his insanity uh, condemning him to a life of intolerable knowledge of his failings. Um, so he's like, no, you got to give me the death penalty. Like, I deserve to die for the crime I've done. And they're like, no, 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 no. You just you just lost it. Um, uh, the bar patrons all return to their delusions at the end, except for one of the ex-anarchists who kills himself out of despair. Um, and uh, it, during the action of the play, uh, Hickey makes a joke uh, about finding his wife Evelyn rolling in the hay with the Iceman when he comes home, uh, which is a projection about his own infidelities, and that's where the title "The Iceman Cometh" from, uh, comes from. Uh, so it's like you know he's he's going around sleeping with all these women when he's on the road, but he makes this joke about like oh you know come back and she's rolling in the hay with the Iceman. Uh, so it's it's just a projection, yeah. So. Lots of delusions, lots of despair. Uh, debt is not really a huge theme uh, in that play, although uh, the bar uh, owner does uh, tend to give out free drinks, as we'll see in the entertainment. But essentially, uh, we see a lot of characters in the entertainment who are named and are thematic references to uh, characters in The Iceman Cometh. Yeah, absolutely right. Like I, I had no idea about that um, that particular play, but yeah, the the parallels are they're, they're right there, right? Like um, that's a that's a really interesting background inf info. Um, yeah. So um, this 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 play is divided up into three acts, and we'll we'll go through them. And they're they're divided. Like the the acts are divided by um, lighting changes. The lights the lights fade in and out. Um, so when you launch the executable, uh, the lights fade in. Um, and you're, as I said, you're you're sitting, your 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 point of reference is that you are sitting at a table at a bar, but like it's it's a stage bar, right? So there's there's lighting from behind, um, and the two characters at the bar in front of you are Harry and Evelyn, um, and there's there's a note here that Harry's name is clearly referenced to Harry Hope, the proprietor of the um, the bar in the Iceman Cometh, um, and he is also the proprietor of the bar here. Um, yeah, and so Harry in the Iceman Cometh, uh, his like character background is that he hasn't left the bar since his wife died. Um, and after like 20 years, uh, his birthday's coming up. And, uh, when his birthday comes, he's finally going to take a walk around the block. Uh, like, like the first time he's left the bar in 20 years and everyone's all excited about it. Yeah, our our Harry character here in front of us maybe has left the bar at some point in the last twenty years, but he seems like he hasn't. Uh, he seems like that could be true of him too. Yeah, almost never, if at all, um, because again, his his wife uh, has uh, died, uh, and I believe his wife has the same name uh, as Harry Hope's wife in Iceman Cometh. Um, Bess, I believe. Yeah. 
Um, and Evelyn is uh, Hickey's wife in The Iceman Cometh. That's where the name is borrowed from. Um, fun. Um, yeah, and she she's an offstage character uh, in The Iceman Cometh. She... Um, she uh, is talked about a lot, but we never see her. There's no like flashbacks or anything like that. Um, and uh, yeah, she's just murdered and talked about. Uh, but the entertainment reverses uh, this. So Evelyn is the onstage character who is talking to Harry all the time and uh, and her husband is the offstage character who is talked about. And her husband is, again, a hardware salesman, same as in The, in, uh, the Iceman Cometh. Uh, but she's the one at the bar who is just constantly talking about, like, well, is he going around sleeping with women on the road or is he not? I'm just stuck here minding the hardware store. Yeah, yeah, it's a really fun reversal, right? Um, and... So when when the when the lights fade in, the most natural thing to do is to stare at these two um, and let their dialogue play. But if you look down at your own table, um, you'll find that the, the, the dialogue that plays is basically stage directions. Uh, you're just it's, you're you're the barfly. Um, there's some really fun fun um, stage directions here of like um, you know they're, they're kind of directing you as you're like glancing around drunkenly and this sort of thing of like you know uh, a note is like. Uh, remembers a trivial detail from yesterday. And then what I absolutely love is that, that it just says suddenly looks up and which is your cue to look up and look at the bar <laughs> again, um, which is, which is just masterful. And I obey yes. that instruction every time it's, it's really well put together. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, like an ashtray and stuff on your, on your table as well. So you can like glance back and forth between those things, which is great. Yeah. It's, it's very nice. Uh, there is a uh, character in the Iceman Cometh, which is probably the inspiration for this role that you play. Um, uh, Hugo Kalmar. Um, uh, he is uh, <laughs> a character who is on stage for most of the play, uh, but um, is passed out drunk most of the time. <laughs> Uh, he's like a, a, a former anarchist who kind of like wakes up and quotes the Old Testament sometimes. But he's most of the time he's just he's just playing being passed out drunk. Uh, so I think that's that's probably what they're referring to. This barfly who's there but doesn't really have an active part in the play at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, or just just to act as the uh, as the the player camera. But it, it's a really wonderful um, example of like inducing like taking the player into the action and making them really participate in it um with, with, without obviously interacting with anything right like, like your participation is to be the bewildered um amateur actor who's sitting on the stage and pretending to go along with with, the, with what's happening here um you are you are talked about a lot but uh never uh talk th- there are some great lines <laughs> there are some really fun lines where you're referred to uh, certainly 
But Harry and Evelyn's chit chat is is quite quite slow and languid. Um, they're 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 whinging about the heat. Um, Evelyn's talking about Ted being on the road selling hammers, um, and you, d- you definitely get the impression it's quite hard on Evelyn, um, and she's she's very pre- preoccupied with um, the mis- hypothetical um, infidelities that Ted might be getting up to on the road. Yeah, some some tall thing pick up some tall thing on the road. Um. Yeah, um, it's the only thing she has to to fixate her mind on, and she's in this boring small town. Uh, yeah, and like the only thing she has to do is come here and drink as well, right? Um, and over over the course of the play, she'll get progressively more uh, drunk and um, and uh, and agitated on these on these topics. Um, but um, uh, there's no beer here; uh, only hard times whiskey. Um, which is uh, the stuff that we've we've encountered before, right? That's the um, the the boys from the distillery that we've heard referred to, and the um, the, the 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 crash right at the beginning with the whiskey bottles scat- scattered everywhere. This is the Hard Times Distillery, um, and for some reason, it's the only thing they're they're serving. Um, we get we get another reference to the boys and their strange appearance um, that everyone seems to allude to, but never quite says what's wrong with them. Um, yeah, like Evelyn is like, are you sure about serving this stuff? Like those people are a bit weird. Uh, but you know, Harry responds, "They work hard. They make good whiskey. Who are we to judge?" Uh. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll be seeing these folks pretty soon, and you know, like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do business with them. Yeah. Um, there's some dialogue here back and forth about uh, Harry's recent vacation. Um, which he he says he, he took took a took a week off to go to the beach. Um, there's there's just a lot of back and forth. It's quite slow slowly paced, right? He's saying, "Oh, my my hire a hostess, you know, fancy this place up a bit." And like, "Oh, I went to a a restaurant when I was at the beach, and they had a hostess, and it was really cool. We could we could do specials, you know. We could have uh, we could have I don't know chicken, you know, on Tuesdays. And, yeah, grilled chicken, it's food specials every day of the week." And then Evelyn's like, "What will we do Wednesday?" It's like, "Ah, I don't know, chicken." You know, this this sort of stuff. Like, it's it's just very, um, very slowly paced, sort of like uh, rather hollow sort of chit chat back and forth. But um, yeah, uh, but th- this is uh, this is like the sort of delusional obsession uh, bit from the Iceman cometh that we're seeing here, where it's like. You know, Harry's sort of like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I'll fancy this place up. It'll change. It's going to be different. Like these things that he says, but doesn't like actually believe. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right. Like and they're small ambitions. Right. This is the thing. Like they are delusions. but They're extremely small delusions. Um, you know, they're they're tiny. Like it's just like, what if we had food in, in, in the bar? You know, it's like it's not he's, he's not asking for a mansion. You know, it's um it's it's pretty pretty small dreams um but hey um there's also some like as the conversation goes on there's some leakage where it's like wait hold on you went you we went on vacation to new orleans not not the beach and, and this sort of thing um yeah it was, it was was it the beach or was it a pool what what did they have down there was it they have they have gators yeah sure it's tons of gators it was it was a swamp it's like was it a beach or was it a swamp or was it a pool or was it all of them yeah um, which the, the teasing will escalate throughout the entire, throughout the play. Um, yeah, which is very, uh, very, 
uh, passive aggressive teasing, right? It's like, uh, it's like, you know, oh, well, like, uh, which one was it? Which one was it, uh, Harry? Uh, was it a beach or was it a pool? And he's like, oh, don't, don't ask me about that. And they're just like, oh, it didn't mean nothing by it. Didn't mean nothing by it. Yeah. It's very, it, it is bar dialogue, right? It's like, it's like lines out of cheers or something, you know? Um, it's like they're, they're teasing mm. the barkeep and yeah. it's all these running gags and nobody ever means anything by it and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, it's very on point for that kind of thing. Um, there's a very funny mention of the barfly, which, which is great because um, the, the characters are animated to glance in, in your direction. Um, that drunk in the corner, which is a really fun little moment. Yeah, it got started earlier than you did. Uh, it started even before I opened up, maybe. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they, they wrap up with um, asking, like, well, you know, stay for the entertainment. And it's like, who's on tonight? Junebug. Um, and Evelyn says she'll stay. Uh, she needs a love song um, to, uh, to, to get her through. Um, and then the light changes. And uh, Junebug, Junebug is a character we haven't been introduced yet to. Yeah, this uh, is foreshadowing. This is the... F- um, the first time we hear about Junebug, but is going to be a major character going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and then the light changes, uh, lights go down. Um, if you turn around to look at the audience, um, it'll scroll out the text of a newspaper review um, going about this um, uh, this t- two obscure plays by a local author. Uh, and the, the plays actually in, in the fiction are A Reckoning and A Barfly, uh, that's, that they've been fused together as the entertainment Um and the, the the reviews always indicate that this is not a very good play. It's uh, I think the quote here is an absorbing, if ill-focused drama about the ills of debt and dishonesty. Uh, and various other reviews will refer to just like kind of wooden acting and like uh, it's 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 really not great. Um, also, the fact that this is in a student theater um, seems to be a, th- a thing they'll mention a few times. Um, yeah, the um, first review is more positive. Uh, it's like, oh, you know, this is a this is quite a performance, um, uh, especially uh, Pearl's Pearl's performance is the standout here. Uh, or sorry, the the actress who plays Pearl's performance is the standout here. Uh, and then the second review is kind of panning it because it's like, oh, this is, you know, like yeah, like the person who plays Harry does a good job, but there's not really much to work with here. Like we never really get to know his character. It's 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 not that absorbing. <laughs> I kind of wonder if this is the creators giving themselves a, an out. You know, they're, they're lampshading. <laughs> the, the dialogue isn't very good. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, it's kind of a, one of those, like, annoying, like, not wink at the camera sort of things. <laughs> about, like, oh, the characters are talking about how bad the story is. And therefore, it's fine. But honestly, it's not. It's it's actually not bad. It's It's actually... It's actually quite good dialogue, I would say. Um, is the, pl- playing this is very engrossing when you're into it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, the, this is uh, this is not one of those cases where it's like, you know, uh, the characters in game saying, "Oh no, not another fetch quest." <laughs> um, that that a really annoying uh, game trope, indeed. Um, but uh, if you then turn towards the, the crew pit, um, you'll see Lula, the organ guy with his bicycle shorts, which, I mean, he's had the same shorts for 30 years. Um, it's, it's dedication. Um, and Carrington, um, 
I think the, the organ guy is working the sound desk, it, is, it seems to be. Um, the, what scrolls past us now is the set designer's notes, which are written by Lula. Um, and she notes that there was very little set direction left behind by the author, um, who disappeared ages ago. Um, and she refers to him as an enigmatic wino. Um, and so she's had to scrap together just like cause the the, the, st- the stage direction is apparently just described poetically. And she's had to scrap together and use her imagination to fill out the details. Um, I guess this also helps when it's like one of these plays is just um, just the barfly and they're just inserting that character into a reckoning. So they get to they get a two for one on some of the set design, I guess. It's kind of implied that the barfly is Evelyn and a reckoning is the act, the action that starts in act two. Um, yeah. Uh, and they, they've, they've, they've mashed them up together through like sort of uh, dialogue with one another and mostly dialogue with Harry. And uh, the, you know, it's, it's a very weird little bit of artifice to be like, well, actually this was originally two plays and now it's one play. Like that is a thing that happens, but it's like, okay. I mean, sure. Uh, is is it kind of riffing off of the salvage theme from the Bureau of Reclaimed Spaces and the sort of weird higgledy-piggledy kind of like bricolage that that agency is up to, just like stitching things together? Is it is it just kind of riffing on that kind of theme? Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, it's it's. I'm sure it's like a reference to something or something that was meaningful to the writers, but we don't we don't get much out of that, uh, that, that, uh, sort of, uh, fabricated history of the play. Mm. No. Um, if we stare at the jukebox then, and I think this is always true, but the jukebox plays out, um, some of its, its audio cues and like the track names of some of the background noises, like, uh, ambient zero one and, uh, traffic noise uh, and like swamp noises and shit like that, which is very cool. Um, but what you're kind of doing here is trying to trigger the events that will get the lights to fade back in. I, I have to confess, I kind of found some of the way the lighting is handled in this a little bit much because um, I think a couple of times that I've played this, I've played it on a TV that wasn't terribly good. And so it actually looked like the screen was fading to black because the lighting is just too low in general. Um, and it fades back in too slowly. So like... Um, like once the light fades out on the stage, if you turn around, the, the the audience might not actually be visible to you, and so you might find yourself pivoting in the dark for like a good couple of seconds before things seem to come back in. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if your TV is properly calibrated, or if it's a if it's a um, a better TV, um, there it, there are some definite neat things about this, and um, I could see it working in VR, uh, where, you know, you're the, the, all the light from outside is shut out by the little like, uh, eye guard thing that, that, uh, you wear. Um, I think the coolest thing for me is you can see the character who plays Pearl in the audience, like just standing, uh, uh, to one side of the audience. Um, uh, throughout and then in, and in, in act one, uh, and then if you watch the, the crossfade, like the lights going down, the lights coming up, if you watch the action of that, um, you can actually see uh, her character uh, like walking up to the bar 
um, just like you could kind of, you know, if you're watching a play, you can kind of sometimes see the little like arrangement of the of the stage for the next act. Um, and like that is something that's like coming from behind you uh, and then going in front of you. So um, I can definitely see that being a neat immersion trick for VR. Yeah, that would definitely be a lot of fun in VR, actually, because you'd be able to notice all those little details um, more easily, certainly. Mm-hmm. And it it is still kind of cool to see, like, oh, like, you know, oh, the lights are about to come up, but I can actually see uh, against the lighting. Um, there's lighting sort of like under the bar, uh, the, like at the front of the bar. Um, and you can see uh, the character is playing Pearl. You can see her legs moving and her getting on to the, uh, the stool. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah, that is that is. Um, I, I kind of wish I could get a VR headset now and actually try this. And in, in, well, I mean, it's not supported anymore. So. <laughs> it's deprecated, uh, so nobody can. That's all. That's all lost <laughs> to time. Um, yeah, tears in the rain. Very, what can you do? The reckoning has come for this, this <laughs> version of the game. Oh no. Um, but Act Two fades in, um, and again, there's no there's no cut here. It's a single shot, um, but it's just the light. The light changes, and we come back in, um, and the uh, the bar folks are there. They're they're kind of having this back and forth about um, what's on the TV. Um, there's mm-hmm. a dinosaur show. Yeah, on. The, t- the TV comes on. Uh, yeah. it's been off previously, and then it it sort of has like a um, uh, it's like if you set the um the refresh rate of a CRT too low and you can see the uh, refresh, you can see the strobing uh, of the screen or uh, like if you um, are, are being filmed by like a webcam and you're looking at a CRT, that sort of like flickering light uh, that, that gets, that, that gets uh, projected onto you. Um, It's, it's got that kind of quality to it where it's, it's like, it's not presenting a constant image it's kind of flickering in and out at erratic rates, um, but there, there's presumed to be something actually on the TV that the characters are talking about. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if it's like um, it's 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 a debate back and forth about like either a dinosaur show or a nature show, and I think like Harry prefers the nature shows or something like that. And there's there's some kind of like stuff here. They're 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 religious folks, right? That like uh, they they can put any old crap on TV. You know, there's nothing in the Bible about dinosaurs. This sort of stuff. There's a, there's a show about there's a show about Noah's Ark <laughs> that has dinosaurs on the ark. Oh, <laughs> and Evelyn Evelyn is like I don't remember anything like that in the Bible. It's like it's like one of those like stupid creationist uh, shows where they kind of like try to make some kind of harebrained like mashup of scientific knowledge with uh, biblical stories. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is fun, um, but uh, we get a bit more of the teasing about the questioning of the vacation, right? That like um, it's oh he was saying it was the beach, but now he's saying it was poolside and uh, New Orleans. I don't know. Um, yeah, the 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 passive aggressive uh, needling of Harry about the vacation is the thing that reminds me the most of Beckett in this play. Uh, that's that's sort of like um, sinister undertone to dialogue uh, is is very Beckett. Yeah. Um, then this new character Pearl enters, um, and she's she's looking for her parents, wondering if they've been in yet. Uh, she needs to talk to them. 
Um, we've got a note here. Um, Pearl is from the Iceman Comet also. Hmm. Yeah, uh, so Pearl, uh, there's... Um, there's a lot of characters in the Iceman Cometh. Uh, Pearl is one of them. She is one of the sex workers uh, who works for the night bartender. Uh, uh, so the, um, the, the character of Harry in this play kind of rolls in uh, with two other characters. There's a, a daytime bartender and a nighttime bartender. And in this case, they're all railed in, uh, rolled in with Harry, the proprietor. Um, but uh, yeah, Pearl is one of the, the sex workers who works for the uh, nighttime bartender. Uh, but like her character doesn't really have a whole lot of thematic connection uh, to um, Pearl in the entertainment. It just seems like it's the name and not much else. Right. Okay. Um, Pearl here is really one of the standout characters. Um, I think she's 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 fantastic. Um, she's saying she she's got off early from her shift at the pawn shop. Um, there's a little bit of back and forth with like Evelyn's hardware store isn't doing too well. You know, Ted being out on the road shilling for quality hammers and chasing skirt apparently. Um, and you know, Evelyn's getting more drunk and emotional as this as this evening wears on. Yeah, there's. <laughs> She makes a lot of references to him doing this, right? To being out chasing Skirt. But, like, Harry's constantly like, oh, no, he's a good guy. He wouldn't do that. And increasingly, like, at the, at the start of the play, like, it seems like, you know, he's just trying to comfort her. But as it goes on, it increasingly becomes more and more plausible that actually Ted is a good guy and would not cheat on Evelyn. <laughs> and this is something that she's like making up in her mind in order to, um, to just try to like find some sort of escape out of this really depressing and, and restrictive situate life situation she's found herself in. Um, yeah, that, that, that's, that was my read on it too, right? That like um, she's, kind of trying to trying to trick herself into imagining that this is going on uh, because yeah she wants out one way or the other from this this life and l later it'll be more like oh, i just want him to come home or or just want to be done with this I'd, either one will do um and like she fl she flip-flops back and forth a little bit but like either way you definitely get the sense that she just wants some way out and if that means imagining uh, these elaborate sort of um, fantasies, then yeah, that'll that'll have to do. Um, yeah, which really puts her in like an inversion of Evelyn in The Iceman Cometh because, you know, Harry, or uh, sorry, not Harry, uh, 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 Hickey, the, the salesman in, uh, in The Iceman Cometh, you know, he's the one of the Iceman Cometh line making these fantasies about Evelyn sleeping with people while he's actually out on the road sleeping with women. Um, uh, and Evelyn is portrayed as like this small town girl uh, who, you know, he, he went out, made some money, got married to her and she had to like stay at home while he was out on the road and, uh, you know, actually chasing skirt. Um uh, and she's very much presented as this kind of like uh, saintly 
long suffering character who just has this like unconditional love for her husband and which is like, you know, a, a kind of like unworldly, intolerable presence of like, she's just too good and I'm so shit and I just can't deal with it. So I have to murder her. Right. That's the that's the story. Classic dude logic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whereas with Evelyn in this play, Evelyn is the one who can't deal with her husband's like, you know, good, honest qualities. Uh, and she actually just wants out of this small town situation. Um, she's not infinitely uh, patient and 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 just kind of like calm and has unconditional love and all this kind of stuff. She's 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 really like tormented. Um and she's the one having these like kind of Iceman cometh fantasies about her husband. Um so it's it's a real inversion of the characters from from what uh is in O'Neill's play. Uh and O'Neill does get a mention as the I believe the owner of the pawn shop is is named after him. Um, I think so. Yes. Um, um, yeah. Those the, the, those are fantastic. That's all fantastic context, right? Like, a, I, I had no idea that there was there was so much um, so much of the DNA of the Iceman Comet in this. Um, but I, I'm I'm not really familiar with theater in general, so you know. Oh yeah, it, it's really like the central irony uh, is like a reference to the old thing is that those characters are totally inverted. Huh. Fun. Um, so we get more of this kind of needling about the vacation. Um, Harry's getting his stuff mixed up a bit more and getting a bit more stressed about it. Um, and we, we get this, this again, the refrain of like, we'll, we'll wait for the entertainment. You know, it's, it's almost like a kind of when, when the characters say the line, it's almost like they're going to wink at the camera. You know, it's, it's, um, it, uh, I guess, I guess that's <laughs> yeah. like in, in the, fa- in the fantasy, this is the kind of stiff dialogue that the reviews are complaining about because it's like, the the refrains are just a bit too heavy and on the nose, perhaps. You know that, like, the, the, especially when they switch into the mode of talking about Junebug, and it's like, well, I guess I'll sit here and wait for the entertainment, and you know, like, wink at the fucking audience or something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I mean, um, like, I, I feel like it's it's very much a waiting for Gatto. <laughs> Like reference, right? <laughs> that, uh, no, Gatto will be here soon, but he's late, right? Like that's that's a constant refrain in waiting for Gatto, which is again the same thing, right? Of like the play is calling the play is called Waiting for Gatto, and the 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 characters are constantly talking about Gatto and waiting for Gatto. Like there's you know, it, it's very like you know Say the line, Bart. Um, <laughs> whenever, whenever Poochie's not on screen, the other characters have to be asking, "Where's Poochie?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's Gatto? Where's Gatto? Um, so, uh, like, I definitely get that Beckett reference, but again, I didn't, I didn't find it as witty or funny or absurdist as. Um, is <laughs> waiting for Gatto. Uh but the, the reference is definitely there. It's definitely there. This this is all too depressing to be a, to be a, a absurd Australian in that kind of way. And like I mean maybe you could speak to this more shade, but there's a thing in Beckett which is like this kind of um Irish driven to absurd 
comedy level of misery. And this, the comedy here is also about like, you know, an oppressed people, uh, the, you know, the, the, the sort of Appalachian culture, um, uh, who are long suffering and, uh, all that kind of thing. But it's, it's very sullen in a way that, that, that it just doesn't, it's not the same thing as that, as, as that kind of Irish humor. Um, I'm in agreement there. Yeah. I think, um, the Irish humor is that kind of like, it, 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 it leans on pretty extreme gallows humor to, to make that kind of levity punch through. And that's not really an evidence here. Um, I guess, um, so yeah, it, it, it could be an attempt in that direction, uh, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it doesn't have that quality of like, things are so bad, I'm driven to absurdity and driven to kind of like, oh, I'm just acting crazy, uh, like side of things. Uh, that, that just doesn't come up here at all. Uh, it's very downbeat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of downbeats, um, Pearl, uh, she, the reason she needs to talk to her parents is that she needs to talk about their bar tab and she won't be covering it anymore because she's, uh, she's going to leave and head west. Um, Harry is instantly perturbed by this. Uh, he's like, oh, hold on, a debt's a debt now. Um, and uh, the, the thing about debts is you'll never know when they'll be reckoned and called in. So we get this like sinister note uh, creeping in. Yeah, this is like where the action of quote-unquote the reckoning second play starts within this one mashup play. Yeah, definitely right. Um, but Pearl's lines here are fantastic because she, uh, she says that she knows all about debt and quoting, it's all around me like a thick grey fog. It's in the air I breathe. At the pawn shop, they have a new financial technology. And it's like, oh no, they invented a new kind of debt. Um, yeah, people are like, what? A new debt? What the hell is that? Yeah. And she explains from like, you know, well, hey, look, you know about secured loans, right? And uh, what, what the boss has dreamt up is, is a payday advance. Um, we're going we're gonna to fucking screw these people even harder. And then, and then what they do is they sell the pile of debts to the bank. Um, and then they make fucking tons off it. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's grueling, right? And like, but also she mentions that like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm the ambassador of this new program, right? And basically because like, you know, she's a woman of color and they, the boss wants to put a brown face in front of the customers so that they'll trust and they'll trust that they're not going to get screwed over. Um, yeah, you could trust me, you know, uh, like, you know, I'm, I'm one of you, I'm kinfolk. Uh, nah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it, yeah. And so she, she wants out, you know, um, for good reason. And uh, but there's something very sad here. Like, like she, wants to, she wants to just leave, go west. And like her ambition is to get a, dro- a job at a credit union, you know, something ethical. And this this is like, again, this like, these are very small dreams that are being crushed, you know? Um, these are, these are not grand ambitions in the slightest. It's like her, her only ambition is to just not be complicit in fleecing, um, her own people or like people like herself. Right. Like, um, and like, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a huge thing to want, (laughs) you know, it's like some minor fucking ethics in, in what you're doing. Um, yeah, just wants out of that, like most predatory, vicious form of finance capitalism. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's even more vicious for being so small time, right? Because like, 
we we have we have finance capital in two different registers here. We have it as um, as the distillery and as the consolidated power company, and then we have this like two bit pawn shop um, small business tyrant jackass who's like got the just the smallest um, and shittiest version of that, um, and just fleecing rubes instead of like um, taking over. <laughs> taking over companies and stripping them and uh, letting miners drown. You know, that's 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 big cakes. This is small biscuits um, going on here. Yeah, he's he's referred to as like uh, an alcoholic, uh, uh, you know, long time. He's been doing this forever. He's off stage, but um, this O'Neill character, uh, he's, um, you know, he's not a good guy, obviously. Uh, and uh, this... You know, this really made me think back, like, to when I was a kid, and, like, I I grew up on the poor, poor side of town um, for much of my childhood, and, uh, you know, we had these, these payday loan places, like, everywhere, um, and, like, I remember there being one, like, in the, like, like, just adjacent to the food court in the local mall, and it, thankfully, it was something that... As poor as my family got, they only ever got into credit card debt and not into payday loans. But it was always this presence, this like strange thing of like, if you were like truly lumping, like if you had, if you had like really fallen out the bottom of the working class, like there were, they were there, you know, they were there ominously in, in the background um, so just really, really had a strong memory of that, uh, triggered. Um, uh, and then, uh, that thing about the credit union is, is, is really easy to sympathize with. Cause like, you know, that, that's, that's like something that I entertained doing when I was younger. I was like, Oh, if I just got a job as like a clerk at, at, at Van city, you know, the, the giant credit union in Vancouver, and I was like, nah, actually, that's impossible. That's <laughs> that's way out of my line of expertise. Uh, so, again, small dreams being crushed, you know? <laughs> yeah, oh, no. yeah, yeah. But for the same reason, right? Like, you know, I, I want to I wanna do something ethical. I don't want to, I don't just want to do something meaningless and, and predatory with my, my life, right? It's like, all I want is to not work at the stamping on puppies farm. Yes, 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 (laughs) yes, exactly. Like Pearl's thing here is very like that, where it's like, um, so like, I mean, her, her tone is quite severe as well, where she's kind of like, yeah, I'm going to, going to head West and, you know, get out of this dump and just need to shed some parasites first and bigger her parents and their bar tab, which is, which is, you know, not a very nice way to put it, but I don't know, like I kind of sympathize, you know, like it's in in this play, we get the sense of these folks being absolutely mired in shit, which like is a position that's very sympathetic, right? Like, but then you have this one character whose sole ambition is to crawl out of the cesspit. And that does mean leaving her family behind. And it's like, eh, I'm not totally sure I begrudge her that, (laughs) you know, um, you know, but also maybe it's not, you know, like the other people she'll be leaving behind are not going to be in a great shape because of that. But also like, I don't know, like it, it it's, it's a real fucking mess. And like, it, it's, it's getting at that sort of thing here of like, um, the way these, 
the way these these institutions and this, this the operations of capitalism kind of rip things to shreds, including families, just routinely. And like, but in, in a way where it's like you can't really totally imagine what you would do otherwise. Like, yeah, it's like the kid the kid really has to kind of develop this resentment for the bullshit that's going on, and then abandon her family because like realistically what the fuck else is she going to do you know uh what 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 else would you ask this person to do um and look yeah it doesn't work out great and it's not going to work out great for everyone but like eh you know it's 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 bad shit all around um and i i, I do sort of admire what pearl is trying to get and get to here yeah i mean it's a very relatable uh situation and uh you know when you're dealing with like a generational poverty right um uh, intergenerational poverty. Uh, like, you know, I, I grew up in a small town, which was fairly poor. Um, it got richer, uh, when I had already left, but cause people from the big city moved in with money and there was a university that started up and stuff. But when I was growing up, it was quite poor, very economically depressed. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're in that situation, you're inevitably going to go through those uh, those feelings of like, I got to get the hell out of here um, if you have a chance to get out. Uh, and you go through that weird sort of tortured feeling of like, I hate this place, but I also have survivor's guilt for leaving. Yeah, totally. Yeah, once the lights go down, um, the audience uh, dialogue places back another a review. Just, yeah, it's it's not a great play. I think you're right, this is the one that's savaging the play a bit more. Um, but the, the crew pit has interesting notes from uh, for the, the dramaturg's notes uh, from Joseph Wheatree. Uh, Joseph being the, the guy from the gas station, um, Equus Oils. Um, he notes that they had to update the play to set it in the present day, 1973. Um, they had to update the gas prices, um, which is part of the dialogue somewhere. Um, they updated the description of Pearl's work. Um, they made the, they had to change some references to Rain's Law, which I think is a prohibition era, th- era thing. Um, which is what, the, the, like on, on the table, there's a, there's a, a brick between two slices of bread which is a reference to that Rain's Law stuff. Because um, that's how you get around the rules of, like, needing to serve food. It's like you serve a brick sandwich um, in order to... Yeah, it's like a passive-aggressive uh, way to get around the rules. Like, oh, yeah, I got your sandwich right here. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, indeed. Um, and we get the reference to changing the title from A Reckoning to The Entertainment. Um so things fade back in. We've got some new characters. Um, next to your table are sitting Rosa and Lawrence. And these are these are Pearl's parents. Um, there's, a, there's a real kind of, you know, the, the, uh, the, it opens up with Rosa uh, talking about, um, or I mean, they're, they're talking back, back and forth about an apparent promotion that Rosa's going to get at the, um, the supermarket, going to get a raise to $3 because uh, she's management material. Um, and there's celebration, you know, Lawrence is very into this, um, and it's, we, we should celebrate, order another drink. And Harry advises them to, uh, take it slow until they see Pearl. Now, this is quite fun because you have to turn your head to get the dialogue to work. So you, you turn from, uh, Rosa and Lawrence's table to your right, uh, over to Harry at your left. And like, it, it makes for a nice little effect where Harry interjects to say, hey, have you seen Pearl today? And they're like, no, why? And he's like, yeah, take it easy, you know, and like you have to glance back and forth to make that work. 
It's uh Yeah, this was the thing that worked for me on the controller and really didn't work for me on the mouse. Uh like maybe my sensitivity wasn't high enough or whatever, but it was like <coughs> line, scroll, 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 line, scroll, 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 line, scroll, scroll, scroll. <laughs> like very it was very like uh like uh tires of going back and forth between them. Uh this would be beautiful in VR, you know, because you could just you could just glance back and forth. It'll be wonderful. Yeah, exactly. That would be like super slick. Um, uh, but yeah, again, uh, using using a controller, it was fine too. We get some more teasing about the vacation. Um, the, the teasing has escalated a little. It's like um, they're giving him shit because like because he's now talking about um, the tabs, the bar tabs, and like reckonings and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, why, why are you going out about money so much? Have you have you let your own debts pile up? And uh, yeah, yada yada. And he's he, Harry's getting fucking furious at these at these uh, mooks. Um, yeah, he's like, you know, I've been doing my books. I've been running this place on my own ever since Bess passed. Um, and, you know, whenever they mention Bess, or whenever he mentions Bess, uh, Evelyn will all say, good Christian woman. And then he'll say, good Christian woman. They take a drink together. But eventually he gets so pissed off, he's like, just lets that drop and keeps going. <laughs> yep. Um, there's, a great, there's a great line from Rosa and Lawrence. Um yeah, they, uh, they, maybe they're like, oh yeah, maybe we should pace ourselves. We don't want to end up like that boiled owl in the corner. And they glance at you, at you, which is fucking great. Uh, the phrase "boiled owl" is wonderful. Yeah, like what the heck? Like what's that about? I'm not sure what would happen if you boiled an owl. Uh, I think there's um, there are some uh, indigenous peoples in Canada who used to eat owl as like a delicacy. Uh, but, uh, it's, uh, I don't think it was boiled. So, I mean, but I just, just to say that like, it is a thing that people have, uh, eaten, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, and I don't know, maybe boiled owl was like a thing. It's, it's very strange, uh, uh, turn of phrase, which I, I really don't know the providence of, but it is like it. I wonder if it's just like, you know, it's just disheveled, you know, like a, a boiled owl would look like shit, basically, and like would look like a disheveled drunk, maybe, you know? Yeah, I mean, it would be pretty gamey, right? Because owls are very muscular. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, well, it's a, uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a fun little gag. And the, the glance is always one that gets me, because, especially because like the... Throughout Kentucky Route Zero, the characters never look into the camera because why would they? Like they don't know there's a camera there. But in this case, um, they get they get the full. And also, they don't have faces. It's just very funny when like this like polyhedron just looks at you. Um, yeah, it's that uh, all all the lighting and stuff that we we were talking about in the previous episode. All that artistic style, that sort of like metaphysical surrealist. Uh, very stark lighting style that uh, we talked about in the previous episode is all still very much in evidence here. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you, it's the, it's the closest uh, it's like the, the closest up to the characters we ever get in the game. Uh, I think except for maybe the boat scenes. Um, but uh, uh, you know, obviously the fact that they don't have any faces um is uh, way more obvious here than in any other part that I remember. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do like um, on Lawrence's model, they do the um, the kind of the gray temples, but they, they do it by just coloring the that side of the polygon just 
coloring it gray instead of like dark brown um but like there's really artistic usage of that to like suggest you can you can see that guy right like with the 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 receding gray hair just around the temples but like it's what you're looking at is, is in fact just a pile of triangles <laughs> that doesn't really look like much of anything yeah 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 no it, like it's it's uh it's very uh simplistic uh, geometry, kind of like flat shaded. I think it's all flat shaded. Um, no, no actual um, textures on it, uh, but still very evocative of who this character is. I think notably as well, the entertainment is the episode in which um, they seem more confident in playing with contrast and like stark lighting, because like the the first two acts have a very washed out uh, color palette. Um, but like here they're, they're quite confident in having things be very starkly lit and have these gradients, uh, really pop instead of just being kind of like vaporwave art, um, quite so much. Sure. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's a, it's, it, 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 again, it partially has to do with the camera being so much closer to the action, whereas typically it's very zoomed out. We get these very wide shots, uh, which give that sense of like, you know, the characters being adrift in a world that's larger than them. And like, they don't really know what they're doing, where they're going, what's going on. Uh, but here it's quite tight in, uh, on the action. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, while we're, while we're speaking about, um, close shots of the, of the characters, um, if you go to the, the wiki, not, not like Wikipedia, but the, um, there's a, there's a wonderful wiki for this stuff called, it's uh, consolidatedpower.co. Um, and if you go through to there, they have links to what the creators call wrongles, uh, which are hosted on their site, which are little, I guess, JavaScript like programs that like render the models in a scene and they render them really up close and you can like pivot around with the mouse um, to view like a 3D model viewer sort of thing. Um, they're really fun. Um, you can click through and just be like, oh yeah, I can see Conway and Junebug up close and like um, swing the camera around, um, which is quite cool. Uh, I'll try to get a link to those in the show notes if I can. Um, but speaking of lighting, the lighting changes again. Um, there's, if we pivot to the, the writer's notes, um, there's, there's like an interesting little quote from the author from Lem Doolittle. Um, it's this kind of thing like, oh, at this point in the play, maybe the audience considers leaving, let them, the, the theater is not a prison and all this kind of stuff. Um, which is, I don't know, he just seems so full of himself. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. They don't understand my art. Yeah. It's like, well, if they're getting just fucking tired and they're going to leave, then let them. Um, this one confuses me, though, because this is a lighting change that isn't signaled as an act change. Because usually if you stare at the jukebox, it'll tell you what act you're on. It'll, like, you know, act one sound cues, act two sound cues. This one doesn't go to Act 4, which is a bit strange, but but hey. Um, once the lights come back on, Pearl is back. Um, Evelyn is more drunk than ever. Um, and they're having a back and forth about, um, it, you know, is it better to stick with family or better to split? You know, like Evelyn is bouncing, ping-ponging between these positions of like, oh, I, I love Ted. Oh, I just want rid of him. Oh, I love him. And this sort of stuff. Um and both of them want their freedom, but they're going about it in sort of different ways. Um, Pearl's project is a bit more positive. Um, Evelyn is in a fucking oscillator. She's, she's stuck somewhere. 
Yeah, I think there's like a line where she asks Pearl if you've ever been in love. Like, have you ever been in love? And Pearl's just like, nope. <laughs> Smart move. Uh, <laughs> uh, Evelyn just kind of ignores her, goes on anyway, talking about her woes. Yeah, yeah. and she's still pining for for Junebug to get here. She, oh, I need a love song. I just, I just need a little bit of romance from when the the world was young. But you know, it makes sense once we actually get Junebug's performance, which is absolutely incredible in the next act. Like, oh, I, I see why they were sticking around. You know, it's actually really good. <laughs> Evelyn would have loved that fucking performance. <laughs> she would have loved it. Um, poor Evelyn. Um, but uh, Rosa and Lawrence are reeling from Pearl's news. Um, so we've skipped ahead in time a little bit. Um, and Lawrence is like, oh, you could have said something before and all this kind of thing. Um, and then then Rosa sort of admits that uh, the promotion isn't maybe really entirely coming um because the boss what the boss actually said to her was management material eventually and keep your chin up you well it's it's first you might be management material like it's you are management material you might be management material and then you might be management material eventually is the the actual thing that the boss said and i don't know it, 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 it these these two characters are great because it's hard to tell whether one might think, oh, Rose has been lying about this, but that doesn't seem like the case. It seems like Lawrence just got really carried away with his initial reading of what Rosa said, and she kind of didn't have the heart to bring him down. Or like, or either that, or it's impossible to talk Lawrence out of a belief, you know? It, it's, it's the thing where if you're a depressive, you oscillate between mania and depression. Um, and, and they've worked themselves up together into a mania here um and then they're going down into the depression um which is you know relatable right it's 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 um yeah uh especially if you're an alcoholic right like some some types of alcoholism is like you really ride the high and then you crash and you hit the low um plus there's the aspect here where um they're saying like, oh, well, we'll just wait for the music escape from the awfulness. And you get the sense that maybe living that little fantasy for the afternoon was a, a fun little escape, you know, that like maybe Rosa could believe for a moment that um, that that was going on. Yeah, it's the delusion thing again from Iceman Cometh, right? Like this is these delusions are what allow uh, Rosa and Lawrence to get by. Mm hmm. Because, I mean, if, if they're going to end up in the hole eventually, by the end of the night, then you might as well have a bit of fun uh, with the little the delusion uh, during the daytime. So Junebug is late. She's probably not coming at this point. Um, there's more teasing, and Harry flips out properly at this point. Um, and he starts going on, and he's, he's like... He, he says, like, he, he didn't actually go on vacation at all. He basically sat in the bar with the door locked for a week in the dark. Um, and... You know, he's, he's, he's sick of all you folks getting getting drunk on my dime. Um, the money's run out. He can't even stock the whiskey without striking a deal, um, which is rather ominous. Um, I don't like the sound of deals with these, these distillery folks. Yeah, it's very much a deal with the devil. Um, you know, uh, when, when the capitalists really get their hooks in you. Um, but, uh, yeah, that... Um, that sort of like 
contrast between, oh, I was out on vacation, but really like he was just, um, yeah, he was just in a, like a dissociative state when the bank came to him with like, you're broke. Like you're basically going to go into receivership like that. Just utter despair, dissociation, just sitting in a dark bar, which he hasn't left in years. Um, not able to really like cope. Yeah. Uh, now what's funny here is, well, I mean, it's none of this is funny, but, um, in act one and two, you can actually visit the lower depths. If you find it on the map, um, you can go there and the door is locked. <laughs> you can hear music coming from inside, but the door is locked. Um, and you can't really do anything at that location, um, until act three. So yeah, you got to wonder like, um, what was what was going on there? Uh, maybe maybe Harry was uh, in in there, sleeping on the pool table in a diso- uh, depressive coma, uh, perhaps. There's a kind of s- a small mercy here. He 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 tells Pearl to leave, basically to spare herself. Um, you don't deserve this, and what's coming. And this this is get, ramping up the ominous um, tone here, because everything's rather sad. Everything's rather sad and worn out. Um, he then tells the others that they should clear out. Um, and then there's this kind of back and forth, right? Like the the, um, the Slades, um, Rosa and Lawrence, are like, well, we'll settle our debt soon. They'll be fine. And then he's like, no, you don't understand. All they want is debt. They feed on it and they put it in the whiskey. Uh, well, they've, they've made reference before to there being some kind of special ingredient in the hard times that, that makes it that makes it taste good. You know, like there's, there's something in the wood. Like, I don't know what it is, but now we find out that there's actually like liquid debt added to the whiskey yeah <laughs> uh-oh um, it's getting worse um so harry says he'll be here soon the boy from hard times and there'll be a reckoning and then it's like well hold on harry our debt's not to the distillery it is now right he sold the debt and his last his last line is that i'm so sorry then the lights fade out and you get this obnoxious electrical buzzing sound that seems to be coming from behind you and if you turn around you see a glowing orange skeleton with a clipboard and then cut to black uh presumably this is the boy from the hard times distillery and he's here to call in the debt um yeah uh definitely is this is the first time we actually see the uh the distillery people um the the weird electrical skeletons um mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's... he's glowing like a crt like it's kind of like a flickering and there's a lot of like this um it, it's reminiscent of the the early like computer crt terminals with the amber text you know on the black background um there's a lot of that going on there um yeah or or like uh it's it's kind of like an, an incandescent light bulb that's about to die you know, that, that when the coil's just like kind of orangish, um, or if you put it to really low light on a dimmer, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's got, got that kind of quality to it. Uh, very, very analog, uh, kind of vibe. Um, but yeah, that I, I, I really like the end of this play. Um, like this, this, you know, this, this growing sense of doom <laughs> at the end. Um, it's, yeah. it's really effective. Like just, Oh no. Like, like not are you only are you in debt, but like your debt's been sold and now you're going to be sold. Like, like, you know, like 
Harry's been forced into sort of acting as this honeypot for these these sad people, uh, basically like a slave catcher, right? Um, and uh, uh, it's it's uh, like who knows what they're going to be turned into, you know, when the, they they get sent, they get brought in. But like, you know, this image of Pearl leaving and then the other people just like fading to black as the like you know, the capitalist comes in to get him, uh, is, is very like, you know, it's very evocative of that, um, that small town horror, um, you know, you're stuck behind and and things ain't going to go well for you. Like this is the end, right? Like there's no getting out. Um, uh, which is a very common theme in Kentucky Route Zero, right? This doom, uh, financial doom, uh, that comes about. Uh, it reminds me of like, uh, I used to, uh, I was riding one time, um, uh, on the bus between Vancouver and Kamloops where I grew up. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, the bus, the Greyhound bus was the, the poor way to travel, right? You get some, you get some lower middle-class folk, but like, you get some working class folk and you get like some just, you know, lumping folk, lots of, lots of people uh, like that. Uh, really, you know, lots of people who are like barely with it or, you know, strung out or whatever. Uh, my, my, a friend of mine once met a guy who was, uh, <laughs> who was a legit hitman <laughs> on the bus <laughs> <laughs> like he was like if you if you need anybody like hey dude you need anybody off just let me know like I, like i'll give you my number like i can i can take care of people for you uh lots of those kinds of stories but uh um <laughs> uh yeah but uh, uh we were talking like my my friend and i uh were talking to this um this this girl about the same age of, as us uh, on the on the bus uh and, uh, you know, uh, my friend and myself were like, you know, much better off, uh, middle-class kids, um, uh, you know, going to college in Vancouver and, uh, she was just kind of coming back from town, uh, to, to Kamloops. And, you know, we got talking about Kamloops and, you know, leaving Kamloops and, and, uh, she's like, oh yeah, Kamloops is the K-hole, you know? You think anytime you think that you're going to leave, you get sucked back in. It's it's just, it's just the K hole. It's like a black hole. And this ending to this, uh, to the entertainment really reminded me of that, of like, do are, will you achieve escape velocity or are you just going to get sucked in and crushed? Um, yeah. And I, I do love this thing for it's, um, merciless and unblinking uh, critique of capitalism because like this doesn't truck at all in the kind of like hedging of like oh yeah i mean debt sucks but hey at least we have iphones or anything like that or like there's oh but at least there's a progressive (laughs) angle to history or something it's like no you are captured by the capital vortex that's how this works um it, it doesn't it doesn't try to equivocate in the slightest um and it, it, that's tr- true throughout this whole thing, right? Like, Kentucky Route Zero simply has nothing positive to say about the 
finance nexus or about any of this star stuff. It is just uniformly evil and and disgusting and should be scraped off the face of the earth. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's no upside to capitalism in Kentucky Route Zero, except for I guess the fact that it got made. Um, but you know, <laughs> that's yeah. about it. Indeed. And it's not like they got a ton of money off of crowdfunding either, right? Like this was a very early Kickstarter project, and it didn't bring in that much money. So extreme shoestring budget um, for all this stuff. Um, yeah, wow, what a what a powerful little piece. Um, is uh, I don't know. So like with with the with the Hard Times boys. Now that we've seen them on screen, like. I don't know, like, are they, again, this is, this is this magical realism problem of, like, I could ask a, like, is this thing actually real question? And that wouldn't be a sensible question to ask, right? In the same way that, like, it doesn't matter if Julian is a real, is really a giant eagle or whatever. It just is. But, like, I was gonna say, like, are they really skeletons? Because they, they're, they're always presented this way. And yet everyone is very reluctant to say it. Like they, they just say like, oh, they're kind of weird, right? Like in this very off-putting kind of way. Almost like almost like they're referring to like door-to-door Bible salesmen or something, just like as, as being kind of off-putting in a way. Not like glowing fucking skeleton. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's it's a particular kind of horror, right, that they're going for here, where it's like kind of like unspeakable evil right like don't don't say the name of Voldemort kind of shit um uh uh and uh that's uh, like yeah yeah he he you shall not be named um uh and I think the magical realism angle is that people are kind of flat in their affect when they react to these uh, electrical skeleton men, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like they, they never like are like, holy shit. Like that's, a, that's an electrical skeleton. Like what the hell is going on here? <laughs> like they're definitely like, people are like, what is this? And like, you know, the um, Xanadu people are, are they kind of treat them as like, you know, like weird, like sort of fantasy monsters that are living down there. And like, you know, it's like, well, you know, our, our D&D party had an encounter with the electrical skeletons, but they backed off and we backed off and we think it's kind of cool. But like, like, I don't know, like, are they going to come back? What is what is their deal? We don't know. Uh, so it's it's uh, very. Um, yeah, I think it, it kind of straddles that line between just like magical realism and horror. Um, mm hmm. Well, like the yeah, you're quite right that the flat affect, especially with like the protagonists, right, like Conway and and so, and so forth, they're they're never doing like I don't know, like a Hunter S. Thompson thing. We're like Jesus Christ, would you look at that, a giant eagle? It's it's like they're just like dumbstruck in comprehension of what's going on around them. Um, and that that seems to be a, that 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 contributes to the horror, right? That like um, this this bizarreness is so overwhelming that they they can't even really respond to it. Yeah, again, it's that kind of, like, um, thing I think we see with um, the end of the last chapter where you're in between wonder and horror uh, in this state of, like, weird dissociation, um, which is kind of, like, I don't know, like, characteristic of, like, a traumatic childhood or something like that, right? I mean, certainly... uh, 
thing I, I grew up with. So yeah, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, that, that's the sort of quality of magical realism quite often. Uh, very, again, very much like life of Pi, right. Is is like, you know, I'm stuck on this boat with a man eating tiger. Uh, and it's kind of incredible. It's kind of got this like Blakeian, like, you know, just sort of like fever dream quality of like, incredible things happening but also i'm just kind of dealing with it and it's horrific it's kind of wonderful i don't know exactly what's going on did this even happen uh is this real or is it all just a story i made up to cope um yeah all that god i I really wonder which which character is making all this shit up to cope (laughs) like if if this is their cope like what the fuck did they go through (laughs) You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I, and I, you know, that's the thing with magical realism is you don't typically don't get the outside perspective where it's like, oh, now we have the 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 straight character, the straight man who who sees things as they are, and you know, they're like, oh, it was all just a dream. Like you never get that in magical realism. It's always like you are in the pseudo fantasy and you're not getting out because that's the experience mm-hmm. indeed um let me think any more any sort of final remarks on this i guess um yeah i don't know this this is this is really i think this is a great little great little interlude um i think it as you get through it it really sells this like um notion that um these people are all just sort of down and out together and that like they're leaning on harry to foot the bill has always been a kind of just mutual understanding, you know, it's kind of like, they're, they're all, they're all at the bottom of things and are all kind of complicit in it together. Right. Like there's, there's a sense that like, they're all, it's it's like, they're, they're so, they're so up to their neck in debts that there's no point thinking about it anymore. Right. That like, you know, cause if, if you owe, if you owe 10,000 to the fucking distillery, then why not owe 20? You know, this, there's something like that going on. Um, and this, because debt, like as Pearl says, that debt is this kind of ambience. It's a gray fog that's around them all the time. Um, you could then imagine why they would just never really expect the debts to ever be called in and especially not expect them to be called in by electrical skeletons. Um, and, that sense of shattering the norm or the, the normality, because like I mean, yeah, these people are acclimated to their dismal circumstances, but there's there's family there, right? There's there's companionship and there's there's something, there's some kind of life going on here, even if it's not that much. Um, and then to have that broken apart, well, firstly by Pearl skipping town, and then also the electrical skeletons showing up, um, just add, adds more and more pathos to all that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think, again, it's that sort of, like, we can kind of cope in this delusional state. Uh, There's a sort of, like, uh, even if it's, like, an oscillatory one, there's a kind of homeostasis we've reached with our environment. Um, And then, bam, it's it's shattered by reality. Um, And, you know, like, it's, like, it's got that kind of quality of, like, if you're in tens of thousands of dollars of debt and you have that very 
slow feeling of just sinking ever deeper into despair. There is a kind of like way you cope with it. And it has a kind of delusional, like, you know, kind of like COVID, right? Like I don't need to think about like, there's hundreds of thousands of people out there dying because of this like invisible stalker that's coming around to kill us. Um, uh, and I'm just going to bracket that so that I can live my life in this weird dream zone. Uh, I feel like that's very accurate to the experience of living in debt. Um, because it is the thing about debt is it's got that weird temporal dimension to it that like Marx talks about where <sighs> deferring, um, deferring the payment uh, opens up all of these dimensions of fictitious capital that can happen. And there's a kind of unreality that is opened up uh, between, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the purchase and the payment. Um, and that I think correlates to the experience of being in a suffocating amount of debt. Like I, you know, when, when my family was really poor, uh, my dad was in tons of credit card debt cause he was in that, uh, it's very expensive to be poor, uh, loop, right. Where, uh, you, uh, like, you know, my, my mom never really got out of this, but my dad did, but it's, um, it's, you know, you, you buy a used car cause you can't afford a new, afford a new car. And then your used car is a lemon. You know, you try to get it checked out. You try to do your, dil, your due diligence. You could take it to the mechanic, this, that, and the other thing, but there's not really too much you can do and you need the car for transportation. So, um, but then it's a lemon and you put money into it because you like, you know, you got to go to work or you got to see your kids or whatever. Um, and it's like, oh, but then you don't have the money. You can't get proper credit. So then you put it on a credit card and you, like, you don't even, you don't even know much about the finance system because you're poor and you, like, you don't have that know-how. You don't know how to, you know, finagle things in the right way to, to take best advantage of it. Cause you don't have any time cause you're working all the time cause you're poor. Um, and you just kind of get deeper and deeper and it's like really stressful you kind of cope with it in different ways, but it's not coming due right away. Like they're not going to throw you in debtor's prison right off the bat. You're not going to go bankrupt right off the bat. Um, and you just live in this kind of twilight zone. Um, and uh, the debt just keeps growing. But so, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's very accurate to that experience. It is. Um, and like all of those sentiments and all those kind of feelings are, are distilled quite well in this, in this play, I think. Um, yeah, it's good. Um, any, anything else before we wrap up? Uh, look forward to Junebug's performance in, uh, the next chapter. Uh, you know, the entertainment, uh, is late, but it will be coming. God, can, can, can you imagine waiting fucking years for this, this shit to come out, you know, in between, <laughs> you know, it was like a, it was an act two finished. Like, God damn, I need I need more of this. And then a couple of years later, we get the entertainment, and then a couple of years later, we get get act three. <laughs> that's that's very much the winking at the camera thing, right? <laughs> of yeah. like, 
oh, you know, it's eight. Like, Junebug should be here, but this is how it is with artists. You never know. Like, this is this, uh, Harry's line, right? It's like, that's how it is. You work with artists. Like, the, the their work is good, but you never know when they're going to arrive. Like, um, like, motherfucker, it's 2015. Like, there should be another fucking episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then... Oh, the next act did eventually arrive late uh, as they open on, uh, which is, again, feels very self-referential. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it is it is it'll knock your socks off. It's really good. Um, it's 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 brilliant. Um, act, act three is a real, real fucking triumph. Um, it, it is the one that everyone remembers. Junebug's performance is the number one set piece in Kentucky Route Zero. It's. It's the one that people always screenshot. It's the one that you always see in uh, articles about Kentucky Route Zero. It is just this incredibly staged thing. Um, and I'm really excited to talk about it some more. It's wonderful. Um, that's going to be a long act. Um, it's going to have to be a two-parter, I think. Because that, that, one, that one's long. Um, act four is long. But yeah, it's, it's going to be great. Um, yeah, uh, thanks, listeners. It's been wonderful. Um, and it, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with, yeah, Act 3, Part 1. Um, in the meantime, you can catch us on Twitter at GIUnitPod. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on the internet, all that kind of stuff. Um, you can go to patreon.com slash generalintellectunit. Throw us a couple of bucks a month to help support the show and get access to the community discord. And you can also check out emancipation.network. And have a look at our sister shows, uh, Swampside Chats, From Alpha to Omega, Jumpsuit Utopia, and Mortal Science. They are all excellent. And there's a new Mortal Science out, um, which is a very good episode. Yeah! Speaking of uh, the entertainment will arrive someday. Uh, I'm, I'm just like sitting there looking at my watch going, wow, it's 10 o'clock and Mortal Science still isn't here. <laughs> <laughs> Esri said she'd be here at 8. <laughs> uh, I, I don't mean to be mean. No. <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 it feels like a Kentucky Route Zero thing with that show where it's like, yeah, like it'll eventually show up. And when it does, it'll be great. Mm-hmm. But uh, They're both very careful uh, works of art, I think. Um, a yes, lot of work yes. and attention is put into both of them. Uh, oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but hey, uh, definitely check those ones out. They're, they've been absolutely fantastic. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, until next time, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Bye.